Welcome and thank you for listening to this message from Legacy Church New Braunfels. To connect with us, go to LegacyNB.com. Now enjoy this message from one of our services. She's absolutely right. Matt is the most low-key powerhouse you'll ever meet. He really is. And, and so often we, we mistake in personality for what the power that's going to come with it. And it's like it has nothing to do with it. Uh, Matt, Matt's depth in the Lord, Matt's care in the Lord, um, his, the ability to teach is fantastic. There was a season that Matt was actually oversaw our student life ministry, and quite frankly, I benefited from it because my oldest, who's now at ORU, um, her life was transformed, and when we, when we asked her, you know, where she, somebody, it was an essay when she was doing for scholarships, name the top three people who, who influenced your life, and Matt was number one on that list. So I was telling you as a father, that carries a lot of weight. Uh, but I just want to say, as a, but you are a spiritual son. But more than that, you're my family. I'm proud of you. I love you. I love the integrity of your heart. And I'm excited what I see God doing inside of you. When we, went, we were able to go to, to the leaders of Vance, Matt and Erica, and then Stephen and Catherine, Kelly and I, and there was something that God did with the six of us that was so special and so amazing. And I watched Matt just begin to come in alive in a way that I'd never seen before. And so I just want to tell you, I love you and I'm proud of you. So won't you stand up for me? And we're just going to pray over Matt. So, Father, I just bless Matt right now, and I just say, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. And I just release the grace of this house. I just release the permission of heaven to speak the heart of the Lord. You're not just a son, but you are a father who actually releases the father's heart every time you speak. When you walk in the room, the father's entered into the room, and it, and it really opens up doors. And so... I just say, say blessings and multiplication over him right now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Why don't you all celebrate him real quick? Yeah. It's true. I could be pretty quiet most of the time. If I speak too low, like give me a, one of these. Yeah. I won't get annoyed. I know I'm quiet. Just one second. Pretty quiet because uh, I don't really like talking to people. No offense, it's just uh, a thing for me. <laughs> so when I do speak to people, I try my best to make it count. As you can tell, I put a lot of thought into this. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, it's not your fault, it's mine. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm Erica's husband. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm very, very proud of my wife. She's an incredible woman, in case you don't know that yet. If you don't know her, it's probably because it's like your first or second day, but you will. Um, uh, she's, she's, we have this picture in my house. It's, uh, it was an anniversary gift from her. And it says, the perfect couple is just two imperfect people who refuse to give up on each other. So I love you, and thank you for never giving up on me. Um, Thank you, Jay, for this. I actually asked him to do this. I don't know why. But uh, <laughs> when we came back from Bethel, I was pumped up and uh, sitting there feeling a little jealous that Jay was using up all the fresh fire, and I really wanted to <laughs> I felt like I wanted to be the one to speak. And so I very uh, patiently waited for my time. 
And um, I'm glad I did, because I got to put a lot of thought into this. So thank you, Jay. Um, I thought it was going to be a secret, but then I heard that, you know, he told the elder group and a lot of uh, others started finding out. And so the other day I was sitting in the back and I was like, man, I really wish Jay didn't say anything because the last thing I need right now is, you know, pressure. Um, and uh, I was saying that to Ms. Kelly and Micah Rosario is sitting right next to me and she goes, oh, okay. Huh. Hey, Mike, by the way, Matt's preaching on Sunday. And <laughs> You became a big sister to me that, that moment. Uh, you solidified your place in my heart. I just wanted to let you know that's done. All right, so I want to share a, an experiment that was done on the federal level. They wanted to see exactly how far and how diverse uh, government funds were going. So they did this um, Department of Justice specifically conducted this experiment. They invited three different agencies. Uh, one of them was the CIA, and one was the FBI, and the other one was actually the New York Police Department, NYPD. It was an open-ended experiment, not a lot of instructions given. They just had to show up to this forest, like a wilderness-type area, and they had these rabbits. Each team was assigned a rabbit. And they said, we're going to release a rabbit. Your team is going to go in, go in after it, track it down, and do what you're trained and skilled to do best. What am I doing wrong? Okay, I, I hear a blare. I don't know if you hear it. I'm sorry. I'll figure it out. <laughs> All right, so the CIA goes in, and about two or three weeks later, they return empty-handed. And during their debriefing, they explained that they went in, they tracked down this rabbit, they actually caught the rabbit. And when they caught it, they thought, what should we do with this thing? We got to do what we're skilled to do best. So they studied its behavior. They analyzed it every which way. Uh, they analyzed its behavior patterns and they used uh, psychological techniques and you know, uh, positive reinforcement to train it to, to do what they wanted it to do, to pick up certain behaviors while still living out in the wild. So they put a tracker on it and uh, the CIA basically says, okay, we have this rabbit out there. It's collecting data. We can analyze its patterns. It's working for us. It's one of ours. So, man, is there a better place to stand? I'm sorry. That really bothers me because I'm usually the one back there, like, getting the heat. Um, oh, is that better? I just need to bring it closer to my face. That's what it is. All right. Yeah. Yeah, then he can bring the volume down. Yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Okay, yeah. All right. So the FBI goes in, and about three days later, they return, also empty-handed. And during their debriefing, they explained when they caught the rabbit, they analyzed the rabbit, they conducted their assessments, and they realized, we don't really have a reason to keep or return this rabbit. It's wild. There's no marking on it, no tracker, no stamp, no none of those clips, whatever they are. Tra uh, what are they called? Tags. So, wild rabbit in a wild forest? Why not? So, they had a leave the rabbit there. That's what they do best. So the NYPD goes in, and about an hour later they come back, and ahead of them is a bear, and they got their guns pointed towards the bear. And the bear is on its hind legs with his hands behind his back saying, all right, all right, I'm a rabbit, I'm a rabbit. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
kind of a true story. It's actually my testimony. Um, <laughs> so, uh, last month we went up to Reading, a team of us. Um, Jay invited me. I don't know why he invited me, but he did. And I'm grateful for it. Thank you very much, Jay. I needed that uh, more than you know, which is what I'm going to get into today. <laughs> uh, at one point, something I really didn't expect out of this trip, we rented one car so, you know, save money and camaraderie and all that, of course. And, but, you know, it's, it has to be a larger vehicle, so it's nice and comfortable for me. Not for Kelly. <laughs> Kelly was hitting her head on the top. Um, but, but at one point, I'm staring out the window. I'm like, wow. I feel like I could breathe again. It's like, maybe it's because I'm out of the, you know, San Antonio air or whatever, but, um, but it's like I can just stare out the window as long as I want. I don't have to worry about the car in front of me because I'm not the one driving. Jay was driving the whole time. Steve was in the front seat too. And I'm looking at these guys and I'm like, man, I can't remember the last time I was the little guy in the group. And, I, and it wasn't just the car. It was everywhere we went. I was like, I feel relaxed. I feel at peace. Here's a guy who will probably defend me. Definitely capable. Here's a guy who's trained to defend me. And I look over at my wife, and she's peacefully looking outside the window, too. And I'm like, man, is this what it's like to be you all the time? <laughs> this is nice. <laughs> I don't have to be the strong one. I don't have to be vigilant. I, don't, I can actually close my eyes. <laughs> Just relax. And the kids were, were home, hopefully with Grandma. I think that's where they were. And... Um, <laughs> So I'm not, I, I didn't coordinate that. I don't have to worry about it. Um, just to be away from, from work and all that. And I'm like, I'm happy Jay invited me to this. Uh, on top of that, Catherine says, what do you guys uh, feel about breakfast? And I'm like, yeah, we feel breakfast. <laughs> She's like, uh, you want to go out? You want to cook? Oh, no, we'd rather cook. Okay, I'll cook breakfast every morning. I'm like, Okay. So I have a few dominant love languages. Breakfast is definitely one of them. And to wake up every morning and feel that love, it was just, it was incredible. And just, I'm setting that up because I'll show you why. Um, so sometime during that conference, um, uh, there's this guy standing in front of us, sort of, and Steve points at him. He's like, is that Keith Ferrante? I'm like, I don't know. I pulled out my phone, looked it up, held up his picture. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's him. Okay. True story. True story, true story. And I look at Steve, and he looks away, and he's doing his thing. I'm like, okay, end of conversation. I guess uh, I'm looking this up myself. <laughs> Who's Keith Ferrante? Oh, good, another uh, Facebook prophet, just what we need. Uh, so <laughs> I'll explain, I'll explain. I'll explain. All right. All right. So... Um, I'm not, I'm not a, a, I'm not a Bethel card collector, all right? I'm not, I'll, I'll explain that too, but, um, I just, I don't, I don't follow up. I'm not keeping track. People say names all day long. I'm like, if the dude wasn't in front of me, I don't know him. I don't, as they say, you know, didn't pay my rent, uh, you know, I didn't, um, where is he? He knows what I'm talking about. Um, 
So this guy, Keith, uh, like the next day, we see him walking, finally walking by himself uh, in the cafe. And Jay seizes the opportunity to introduce himself, have a conversation. And I'm standing with Jay, and I witnessed this interaction. It was very interesting. Because Jay runs up to him, and he goes, hey, Jay Miller, pastor of Legacy Church in Braunfels. I'm Cindy Hatcher's pastor. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, real smooth, Jay, real smooth. And I just keep replaying this moment over and over in my head because I think it's so funny. Uh, I would never expect that. And, um, and the rest of our group shows up and they start introducing themselves. And I should, I'm like, okay, well, my, my turn, I guess. I should probably introduce myself. So I go up to him. <laughs> it was like right after Erica introduced herself. And I say, hey, America's husband. And, and then the next person goes and I'm like, did I even say my name? <laughs> So I learned a lesson that day. If I'm in New Braunfels, America's husband. If I'm anywhere in the I-35 corridor, Pastor Jay's my pastor. I go to his church. If I'm anywhere outside of that, I'm Cindy Hatcher's spiritual son. <laughs> so now I know. I didn't know, but now I do. Um, I hope I put you in a good mood because you're going to need it. <clears throat> the whole reason for taking this instead of that was so that I could clear my throat. And I just cleared my throat into the microphone. All right, I'll try not to do it again. All right. So I want to share my testimony. That it's been a process for me for the past uh, month. <laughs> but uh, what I've really been going through for the past three years, um, it's kind of uh, wild that Jay would even... Uh, share this microphone with me. You know, as a pastor, this is his rod and staff. Uh, I knew another pastor who would, like, talk about that. So when he had other people speak, he would hold the microphone the whole time, unless they were a guest speaker that he invited. But um, So this is a big deal for me that you would, you would do this. So um, I don't take this lightly. <clears throat> I remembered that time. Uh, if you want to turn your Bibles to Ezekiel 36... It's one of my favorites. I used to preach it the wrong way for years and years, and I finally realized there was a whole lot more to this than I thought was there. Uh, Ezekiel 36, chapter 21. I'm reading out of New Life version. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard of that version before, but when I saw it, I was like, oh, that's cool. I'll keep that. It's pretty much what I, how I want to say what I want to say. All right, starting from verse 21, Ezekiel 36. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. So tell the people of Israel, the Lord God says, it is not because of you, O people of Israel, that I am about to act. It is because of my holy name, which you have put to shame among the nations where you have gone. I will show how holy my great name is, which you have put to shame. He repeats that. Interesting, huh? Among the nations. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I use you to show them that I am holy. For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. Then I will put clean water on you 
and you will be clean. I will make you clean from all your unclean ways and from all your false gods. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take away the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you and cause you to follow my laws and be careful to do what I tell you. And you will live in the land that I gave to your fathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. I'm very grateful for that, that that's God's response towards us. That even when the only thing left is to be concerned for his holy name, he still uses that excuse to turn us around, to bring us back to where we belong, to bring us back to the original plan, to bring us back into his perspective and, and just, as my kids say, vibe with him. Um, uh, so I've, I've had a series of events um, these past, this past year alone. Uh, my dad passed away in April. Um, uh, he told me two years ago that uh, when he was diagnosed that he had lung cancer. And as soon as he told me, I got up from where I was sitting, I w- walked over to him and like tears were already falling off my face by the time I grabbed a hold of him. And he hugged me and consoled me. He, he said everything he, he, sh- he probably should have said. And, um, but he also asked me not to cry. And I've always, I've always been a good son. I've had my days, but I've, I've been a good son. So I, I listened to that and I said I'd be strong. You know, and I understood why he said what he said. Uh, it's because, you know, he worked his whole life, or at least my whole life, um, trying to make us happy. And the last thing he wanted to see was me crying and sad. He didn't want to leave that way. Um, he didn't even want to see it for a moment. So I tried my best to be tough in those past, in those, uh, what was it, about two years or so, or a year and a half, until he passed. And... Um, Funny thing about grief, if you don't deal with it, it will deal with you. <laughs> and uh, it started expressing itself in ways I didn't know were possible. And thank God I have people here to speak to and help me through it. And God brought me through it for sure. Um, I'm very grateful for that. But uh, it doesn't end there. That is not the soul. If that was the only reason I had to cry, that would have been fine. <laughs> but it wasn't. So, you remember 2019, back when we were all happy? Um, Want me to go down the list? I've met my long-lost sisters. I have four sisters who I never never even knew existed through a a DNA test. And as soon as I met them, it was like we knew each other our whole lives. It's awesome. Best experience. Um, I had my dream job. I finished training, and the job I always wanted to do was special... I put in special IV lines. They're like really long. They go to your heart and stuff, whatever. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Um, And I worked with awesome people. I had the best boss. I was high on life. I mean, I like, even when I wasn't at work, I was here teaching kids up there about this. And it was just a handful of kids up in, in the upper room, but it was great times. And just, I had nothing, no other grief. The only thing wrong with life was Erica's mother was going through cancer. But even there was even a short period of time where it looked like things were getting better. So it was, it was high hopes until 2020, you know. Um, 
when all that turned around, the whole world flipped upside down. Um, as my mother-in-law would say, the whole world went to hell in a handbasket. Uh, she would say that all the time. I'm like, come on, one, one episode on the news and you're saying the whole world's going to hell in a handbasket? She would say that all the time. Uh, and it's a shame that she left this world in 2020 because she was right. And we had this competition of who was more right. And <laughs> it was, I really wanted her to see the world better than when she left. Uh, so 2020 was very uh, scary for me. And um, as it was a lot of people. Uh, I'm a nurse, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned that. Did I mention that? I must have skipped that. I'm a nurse. Um, I'm also a uh, labor unionist. Um, if you're asking how and why I do both of those things at the same time, ask me today because I'm starting to forget why I do that. But uh, I used to be the youth director. Um, like I said, handful of kids up there. Uh, very privileged to have the kids that I had up there. Oh my gosh, one of them is still right here. Any others? Most of them moved on. Hey, fifth and sixth grade counts. All right. <laughs> Most of them in college now, yeah. So I was scared and confused, uh, uh, but not alone, uh, in a good way. Uh, lots of people from here would call and text me, and I was keeping count to know who my real friends are. And um, <laughs> this guy would visit me. He takes the cake. He really... He, he literally brings cake to me on my birthday. Um, uh, I haven't baked him a cake yet, but I'm starting to practice so I can do something impressive for him one day. Um, most of all, Trish Weeks, actually, she would send me the most text messages, and they would hit me in, like, the best moments because sometimes I'd come home from a long day, uh, you know, dealing with the, you know what, and I'd be in the backyard throwing the ball around trying to get my mind off of it, just trying to take a deep breath outside, text message would go off, look, and Trish Weeks is there with a really short but directly to the point moment that I needed. And I really appreciate everybody who, who tried to, try to help me along with that, even though I'm a quiet guy and I swear that I'm fine when I'm not and try to be tough and try to be strong all the time. Um, so not dealing with that appropriately led to 2021 where I spent most of my time angry. Angry for a lot of reasons. Uh, biggest reason, part of me blamed God for all this. I, I didn't want to, I would never say it out loud until now. But um, like, how could you, like, even if it was all us, how could you let us? Like, who, who, who just give me a name and I'll go find them, right? Who messed this up for all of us? Um, why didn't you send me? <laughs> you know, all kinds of crazy ideas about how this should have went right. At the same time, um, I was fighting for my labor rights with a, an administration that was trying to take them all away, which is an interesting topic. Um, anyway. So by the time 2022, 2022 rolled around, I was just in like giving up mode. Um, twice this year at least, I went to work and instead of opening up my email like I usually do, I just put my head flat on the desk, just like this. For those of you who could see me. And not even on my arm, just straight on the desk because I didn't even care anymore. And I was like, God, what am I doing? What am I doing here? 
why do you have me here? I know, I know you, you know me, we know each other, we know how this works, you have bright ideas, I think I have bright ideas, and you work it all out for good, but God, it has been two and a half years, and I'm done. I mean, I am, I got nothing left. I'm, I'm not giving up, that's not what I'm saying. But I, I really need you to like step in and change something because this ain't working. I'm down an ugly path. This is not working. I don't know if you heard me the first time, but this isn't working. <laughs> I admit it. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Yeah, right. We all know how that story ends. And just whatever. And then the phone rings or somebody walks in, interrupts me, and that's how that ends. So that happened at least twice. Um, so the thing I said about being strong, and it's not only, you know, of course, of course a cultural thing, but it's also like a kind of a job necessity, a necessary skill, I'd say. You know, as a nurse, you've got to be the strong one. You're, you're dealing with people in their toughest times. And I use that as an excuse when I shouldn't have. A lot of nurses I work with, they're, they know how to run to the closet or the bathroom or whatever it is, let it out and come back to work, and I don't. I don't have that supernatural skill. I don't do that. Um, I start learning, though. Um, so, one time during the crisis, the you know the whole 2020 thing. I don't even want to say it out loud. That's how much it bothers me. Um, I showed up to an ICU, and I started an IV for a lady, and she's like the sweetest lady. And that's that's the cool thing about my job, especially this. Uh, the, the IV job, I go like anywhere, everywhere in the hospital. I have access in every single department because uh, everybody needs an IV eventually. So um, I, I show up and I have this incredible conversation, uh, sweet old lady, and she talks to me about her, some of her life experiences and how, appreci how appreciative she is of me being there and all the nurses that have helped her, and she looks actually pretty good. She only has a little oxygen to her nose. Uh, in a few days, she should be, you know, virus-free. And um, I'm thinking, cool, she's got a good shot. We have a good conversation. She, she was a public service worker. So she, like, dedicated her life, 30 years at least. She told me 30, 35 years of helping people. That was her job. That was what she did her whole life. Um, she was, really wasn't even that old, now I think about it. Uh, so anyway... A week later, I returned to that same unit, and this is like August of 2020. And I asked one of the nurses at the nurse's station, hey, whatever happened to so-and-so in that room over there? And the nurse gives me a weird look. She turns around and looks, turns back at me, as if she didn't know what I was talking about. And she said, nobody on that side of the unit has made it out alive. I said, what? And that's when... The weight of all this, that's like a, something, a shifting point, I guess you could say, something cracked inside where I was like, okay, looks like I got two options. Be strong and go do my job for the person who needs me right now, or go deal with this the way you know is best, and I did not choose option B. So um, I kept running into similar situations. On top of all that, by the way, God says to me one day, not really, but this is how I interpret it. He says, um, I got an idea. I know you're dealing with a lot of stuff right now. I know 
I feel your pain, you know I do. But I got a better idea. I'm gonna make you a leader. A leader? What? Okay, so the part you don't know is that when I was in uh, the youth director, I would have to show up like twice a year to Christian Jay, kind of a debriefing and planning and all that. What do they call that? Strategic planning, yeah, yeah. And uh, Jay and Chris would very uh, patiently bring me back down to earth and say, you know, you're doing a great job, but you've got some administrative uh, responsibilities that you are ignoring right now. And uh, I never did a good job with that. And Chris even very lovingly told me, you know, administrative skills is like a muscle. You just, you just got to keep working it, and it'll, it'll get stronger. It'll get better. I never forgot that. I still, still, yeah. He's right. He's right, because God made me a leader and forced me to uh, go to that gym. Um, <laughs> I became the uh, president of my union, where I represent, at the time, 1,000 employees. Now it's a little less. Um, and while I was there, still there, uh, a lot of people come to me with their grief. Um, so not only am I dealing with my stuff, I'm dealing with theirs. And there are people who are way more scared than me, uh, and they have the right to be. There are people who are way more angrier, uh, angry than me. Um, there are people who are facing way more injustices than I'm facing, and I have no idea how to help them because I'm brand new at this. And the appeal processes that I would normally lean on don't exist. Because the funny thing about a uh, national emergency is that all bets are off and the mission, all mission critical items are highest priority and labor rights go out the window just a little bit. So I had to explain to several people almost every day, um, I understand how you feel and there's nothing I can do about it right now but this is what we can do for now and try to deal with it. So I, I learned a lot in that process. Uh, just when I thought that was as bad as it could get, um, I get a phone call one day from what's called the Nurse Steering Committee leader. Uh, there is this person who leads a committee of nurses all across the United States that represent um, both our union and nurses. So we get together, us nurses, it's like uh, 20 to 30 of us, once a month, and we talk about all the issues we're facing, and we devise plans to take political action to fix whatever nursing issues we're dealing with. We put our heads together and try to figure it out from the highest level possible. So I got that on my plate. Uh, and then just this year alone, please bear with me, I know this part is all boring. Uh, in June, I got to participate in what's called a union convention. And that's when all the bright ideas from across the country come to one place and discuss what's best for the union. So we spend four days arguing over who's got the best idea. And on day five, we all vote on who's got the best idea. And that's, how, that's what we live with for the next three years. And if, before you shut me out and um, just ignore what I just said, we, the government workers, decide what's best for us, and in turn, if it's good, it's great because it all trickles back down to you and how your government is operating. So what we're, like the decisions we're making are affecting the whole country through a very indirect process, which is, I thought it was incredible. Um, it was a brand new experience for me. I never thought I'd be involved in that. I'd never wanted to be involved in something like that. But here I am. So I speak to my district leader and I was like, man, this was great, this is the last day at the convention. 
this was great. Uh, I've got all these ideas. Next time we get together about planning or, or training for this, I want to be part of that team because I got some ideas that will help everyone be better at this next time. And she sizes me up and she goes, how old are you? I said, eh, 34. She goes, okay. Yeah, you're the new young committee leader. Send Joe a, a, an email and let him know that you're, the, you're taking his position. I was like, you want me to send somebody else an email telling him I'm taking their position? I, I, good thing I knew this guy. So I sent them an email. Hey, buddy, you know, uh, something I want to talk to you about. If you get a chance, call me. Uh, he called me. We discussed it. It was great. It was fine. But what she did, she appointed me as the chief leader who, whose responsibility it is to lead or to influence the next generation of unionists from New Mexico all the way to Mississippi. Yep, I went from a handful in an upper room to being the lead influencer of this uh, demographic. And I have no idea what that really looks like because I barely just started in this position. And I kind of see where God is doing, what God is doing with this. And it's like, it's one of those moments like, okay, God, I see what you're doing there. Yep, yep. All right. I'm paying attention, I think. Uh, so after that, right after that trip, almost right after that trip, I had to go to New Orleans to go to human rights training. And there I learned how to be a leader among communities to be a lead influence and a, a what do you call it? Like lead by example, first, first and foremost, on representing human rights, labor rights, civil rights. And um, I noticed that a lot of this is focused on two things. One, being a leader and doing this yourself, being the person, the it guy, for like being the pillar of, of this uh, situation. And the other part of it is, how we talk to each other really matters. Like I didn't, I know it sounds like really simple, mundane, whatever, but it's like so much of this, so many of these problems is simply how we communicate to each other and what we communicate with each other. Um, so that was an interesting experience. Before that trip ended, uh, the political action committee that I told you I was part of, they planned the trip to go to DC to tell the people in DC our problems and how to deal with them. And I said, okay, I guess you could count me in. Uh, sounds like fun. I show up and there's two of us <laughs> representing every nurse in the Department of Defense. Um, and I'm like, okay, not what I expected. And like two days before I left on the trip, she said, hey, bring anything you got. I was like, bring anything you got, what do you mean? She's like, well, you can't go empty-handed. I'm like, okay, what do you need me to bring? I already had an idea what she was talking about. but um, So, like, on a Saturday morning, I'm putting together these spreadsheets, and I'm, like, putting all these demographics together, comparing personnel from 2019 to 2022 and the direction we're going and how this is all not working out. And if it continues down the path it does, it's all going to fail. Um, so that's what I'm trying to communicate to these congressmen. Uh, so we get there, and I'm looking at my, and I'm nerve-wracked, because I don't like talking to people. And now i got to talk to important people, and, or at least people who think they're important. And, um, no, no, I'm not going to take jabs. I'm not going to take jabs. 
No. Um, I'm looking at my little spreadsheet, and it's like the simplest spreadsheet I've ever put together. It doesn't even have graphs. It's just a chart. And I'm like, I'm going in with this? And a few emails? <laughs> what? I felt so unprepared. I've never done anything like that before. Um, pretty nerve-wracked. I actually, I actually fasted for the first time in a long time because I was like, God, you're going to have to... This is a Moses situation, all right? You're, you're sending me to Pharaoh. And I, I, I don't believe I have what it takes to say what you want me to say. Um, so you better send somebody with me. And sure enough, I wasn't alone. Uh, uh, he did most of the speaking the first day, but once I figured out what we were doing and what we were trying to communicate, I was like, okay, now I got this. Oh, thank you. I left it in my bag. Uh, but that's okay, because this one's cold. One second. Oh, yeah, do that for me. <laughs> Strong one. Thank you. Yeah, 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 that's what I was talking about. So at the time, I thought I was going in representing a little less than a thousand employees. About a month ago, I realized I was representing 45,000 employees. And uh, I don't want to get too far into it, but the government systems in place, there's only two healthcare government systems, the VA and the Department of Defense have their um, health systems, not really, because there's also Bureau of Prisons and a few others that have large clinical sites. Um, but point is, they're government-funded health systems, all right? You don't have to pay to see a doctor and get the care you need, all right? Some of us might recognize this, right? Universal health care, right? But that's if it goes for everyone. Whether you believe it or not, it doesn't matter for what I'm about to say. But if it fails here, everyone's going to say it can't work. It won't work. See how it failed? Even in the perfect system where we threw all the money we could at it. So I'm glad I didn't know that going in because that would have been way too much pressure for me. But I see myself as this very small variable in this situation. And like I said, whether you believe, it or believe in universal health care or not, it's not going to be an option for you if this fails here. Um, and I'm thinking, how did I get here again? <laughs> how did I agree to this? God, what are you doing to me? Uh, I'm the same guy, by the way, who has a lot of heartache going on, which I'm going to get into. Um, so I'm not the perfect man for this job by any means. Uh, but before I left that trip, I had to coordinate a training within my district for uh, also like human rights and um, equal employment opportunity things. So I planned one of those for San Antonio. But before I can get to that trip, another one came out from the district, from the Union District, also in DC, which by the way is in, was only a block, one block away from Capitol Hill. And they invited me to a leadership conference. I was like, okay, it's first of its kind, less than 20 of us invited. Um, so I had like, I have all these trips lined up already and I haven't even gotten home. So I got the, uh, I go to the next training and that's like a whole like a big time how to lead people through uh, equal employment opportunity things and how to be a leader of this, how to be a leader of that, how to be a leader of this. And somewhere in the midst of that, Erica says, hey, uh, 
Jay's taking a team out to Bethel. Do you want to go with us? I was like, do I want to go? Why am I even invited? Um, okay, I guess. So before I came back from the last trip, I'm like coming back on a Friday. I'm going to leave again on Sunday to Reading. I decide to actually look at the emails that, or text messages that Jay has been sending. And I see that it's a ministry leader conference. And I'm like, oh, another leadership conference. Uh, okay, God, I see what you're doing there. I think I see where you're going with this. I think he wants me to be a leader. Um, and even though I'm like, I was like really grateful for that opportunity alone, I mean, the fact that he would even consider inviting me, um, some part of me felt like I was being dragged into this, like a tag along to a pastor. I know it sounds bad, but you know, I'll get into it. I'll get into it later. No, I did get into it. You know why I'm like that. So if you don't mind, I'm going to read to you from Psalm 42, but in this case, I want you to close your eyes and just listen. Is that okay? All right, so close your eyes. I'm reading Psalm 42, the New International Version, the way I read it long ago. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for you, God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him my Savior, and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Haram, and from Mount Metzar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love, and night, his song is within me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Thank you, Lord. You can open your eyes now. I don't think I've ever read this in a way where I agree with every single line and have felt every single line in such a short amount of time. Um, People like to comment that David was probably schizophrenic, and no, I, I totally get how you can feel this way and that way all at the same time and almost all at once. Um... Because like I said, I've, been, I've, been grow, I've grown in the past two and a half years to be very bitter, very angry, very sad, not dealing with my emotions, not dealing with my grief, dealing with other people's problems, dealing with people, what, things that other people should have dealt with. Um, inheriting, inheritance is supposed to be a good thing, and so far what I've inherited is, is, has not been good. Um, so there's been a lot of pain in my heart lately, and I just want you to... So no, I'm not coming up here happy-go-lucky, like everything's been fine the whole time. 
and I'm hoping I could relate to somebody else in here because God's done something tremendous in me in the past month that uh, I refuse to keep to myself, uh, even though I hate talking to people. And, uh, oh, I mean, I don't like talking to people. Um, so while we were up at Bethel, Dave, Dave, why did I call you Dave? I wonder why I call you Dave. I know your son's name, Dave. No, I can't remember your name. Jay. Jay <laughs> took us up. King David took us up to uh, the chapel of Bethel. And he said, it's a really cool chapel. I want you guys to see it. And I go in there. I'm like, okay, oh, nice. Big windows. <laughs> and, and you got to remember, I'm still like in my, like, the, the most bitter point in my life. And um, I'm sitting there. And I'm trying to take it in. I'm trying to just like let go in a sense. And I see everyone else. I'm thinking everybody's going to come to this place and pray like a little chapel, right? But most people are journaling. Like, everybody's writing something. Like, what are we writing? (laughs) I guess you go there for inspiration and you write. Or you just sit there in silence and wait for God to say something. Something I haven't done in too long. And so I'm like, all right, well, I didn't bring anything right down, but I do have a phone, so I'll just start reflecting. God knows I could use some reflection right now. So this is what I wrote. Not gonna lie. I came here with empty hands, not even a notebook, and no expectations whatsoever. But I did come here with a very small degree of hope. Hope that I will be reacquainted with my creator. I thought I'd get a little further than that. Hold on. I don't care what I get out of this trip, but I do want a reinvigorated passion, a passion for anything, really. I even argued with my wife on the way to the airport in my bitterness. There's a way that seems right to me, and it has led me to hopelessness and depression. I'm tired of doing it my way. I even expect to be disappointed by God himself at this point. This year, I have been haunted by revelations, too. The abandonment of the original passion, my first love. I fear that my choices have brought me to a place where the ministry set before me was betrayed by me. I even try to discourage my wife from hers. Yet, on the other hand, I find myself in a place of great influence in which the stars have aligned for me. My mind is at a great crossroad that doesn't exist in reality. I face no options, but my mind is captive to the idea that a great decision faces me, one that shall not be undone. My anger towards the whole world and perhaps towards God for the COVID pandemic and how we continue to respond to this day will not relent, but I want it to. So that's a little bit about me. Um, I quoted Revelations 2. I'm going to read it to you real quick. Uh, Amplified Version, uh, chapter 2, verse 2 through 5. This is God speaking to either a pastor or a group of pastors out in a church um, in a prophetic message. He says, I know your deeds and your toil and and your patient endurance and that you cannot tolerate those who are evil. And I have tested and critically appraised those who call themselves apostles 
and in fact are not, and have found them to be liars and impostors. And I know that you who believe are enduring patiently and are bearing up for my name's sake, and that you have not grown weary of being faithful to the truth. But I have this charge against, I have this charge against you, that you have left your first love. You have lost the depth of love that you first had for me. So remember the heights from which you have fallen and repent. Change your inner self, your old way of thinking, your sinful nature. Seek God's will and do the works you did at first when you first knew me. Otherwise, I will visit you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So let me tell you where I think I went wrong. Number one, I forfeited my devotion, my daily devotion. Now, when the pandemic hit, everybody, you know, we all had to go about our ways and stay home. And so we stopped church for a little while. And because of that, there was no youth group. And because of that, I didn't have much reason, not true, but at the time, this is how I'm thinking, to go study and prepare another lesson. And because of that, I completely stopped reading the Bible and eventually stopped praying and used the excuse, well, I got all this overtime, I got to work, so everything else is going to have to wait. And over and over and over again, down this um, snowball effect, uh, that's, that's, what, that's where I think I went wrong. That's where I think that was a turning point that I should, have taken, I should have taken the right way. At the same time, I'm grateful that I have a God that loves me so much. Because when I abandoned my first love, I mean, think about that. I'm the one running from God. I'm not running from, where did Jonah run from? Nineveh, thank you. I knew it started with an N. See how long it's been? Um, I, I'm not even like uh, a personal responsibility, yeah, but not like a. I have no excuse, is what I'm trying to say, for how I dealt with how I feel and what I continued to choose to feel and not talking to anybody about it. And it actually uh, started to haunt me a little bit. You remember Surprise when he came and spoke? He gave this story about sheep, and he said, when the sheep are together, bah, bah. remember that? He said, when a sheep is in trouble, the sheep goes, bah, bah. and all the other sheep start going, bah, bah. and they make such a big noise that the villagers are able to run out and help with the situation, usually like a predatorial animal is going after it. But if there's a sheep that goes too far to be heard, it leaves itself vulnerable. And every time I decided to not go to church on a Sunday morning with my family because I just didn't want to go, I remembered that story. And I think God had incredible mercy on me to keep reminding me, hey, this is what you're doing. This is what you're doing. This is what you're doing. And I have this really... Um, unusual, or how do you say, uh, unrealistic idea that surprise is going to pop out of somewhere and say, I told you so. Um, so I, because of that, I started giving up and trust on God. I, 
here I am influencing um, kids here at this church, trying to show them the right way, trying to lead in my own life. And then I just totally gave up on that. And uh, I'm ashamed of it. I really am. I really am. I'm happy that God has removed that shame enough for me to speak up today. Uh, I completely volunteered for this. I didn't wait for Jay to ask me to say something. I didn't even share my testimony completely with him. Um, but I'm just very grateful for the... You good? Mercies of God. Uh, I forgot to be... I forgot... I started to forget his promises, something I thought I would never do. I was very passionate about our kids learning and memorizing the promises of God, right? Uh, it was something that stood out to me. It's something I felt like that's one thing, one tangible thing they could take with them everywhere they go. You know, God promised this, therefore I'm running with that in faith, right? That was the, the one thing I tried to lean on the most. Um, I started to forget God's promises. Uh, there were times that people would say something and I'm like, I was about to say something because I know that there's a promise for that and I physically could not remember the scripture. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I was not the right man for the job anymore. And I was like, how did I get myself here? I'm... Won't happen again. All right, so I'm going to read a little bit more from my uh, journal, just a little bit, and I'm going to bounce back and forth to um, things that I've received from others. I'm not trying to preach anybody else's message. I just want to share with you what God has been saying to me. So bear with me, please. Uh, there was a point where Jay took us to morning prayer at Bethel, and this is what I wrote afterward. Uh, at morning prayer, I asked for an ignited passion, a restored heart of compassion, God's perspective of my past, present, and future. At this point, I just want to be. I saw my bright blue sweater as a symbol of a blue flame. Others eventually prayed for me, and one by one, they all addressed my prayers without even knowing what was in my heart. I didn't say anything out loud but somehow they came and prayed the words that I was saying in my head. I just thought that was incredible. And I was like, okay, now I see why I got invited to this. Now, now, now I know why I'm here. <laughs> this is real. Uh, so uh, morning prayer was accompanied with a short message from, uh, from one of the guys there. And he said, God's answer to your needs is always, I am. God's answer to your needs is always, I am. God is always the answer to your needs. Him. So when we pray the names of God, we declare both his will and his being to answer our requests. You're not going up to a stranger. His names are also his promises. Afterward, Jay hugged me and stated that I am not a tag along to a pastor, rather a contributing leader to this team. And you don't know how much that meant to me. I, the, you used the exact words that were already in my head. And I really appreciate you and God for that, because, uh, well, you'll see. So the first conference session, uh, still a little bit of my bitterness, I'm a lot of bit in my bitterness, and I'm still journaling, because I, I feel like I'm, I'm finally getting it out. And this is what I wrote. Even now, as worship is about to begin and instructions are given to raise our hands for a blessing, the sound went out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the last thing I needed in that moment. Uh, it's, 
It's difficult to get through my bitterness as I feel surrounded by fanboys. All this, in my defense, there was somebody behind me who said that when they went up to go touch the pastor's chair, they started crying and all of that and claimed that they felt this annoying thing. Maybe they did, but I wasn't ready to hear that. Um, all this bitterness all throughout worship and frankly disappointed with the song lyrics as they seem to lack creativity and logic. Can you believe that was, was bothering me? Yet I still can't get over the fact that I'm about to hear from a senior pastor who recently lost his wife to cancer, a disease that so many have testified to have been healed from in this very space. Yet he still believes what he preaches relentlessly. So Bill Johnson speaks, and here's a few, point, uh, a few bullet points that I wrote down and wanted to share uh, that really spoke to me. He said, record and remind yourself of prophetic messages and anointed prayers. Uh, I've been taking that way too lightly. I've heard that for a long time, but now I'm starting to realize, hey, if I was in a point of uh, lowness, for lack of a better term, I could have had something to turn to and remembered, oh, oh, yeah, that's right. That's why, that's why I'm here. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. That's, that's the whole point of all this and stay focused. But I learned when you see God's intent with your most broken situation, God is big enough to use your tragedies to bring new life into your world. Not everything makes sense right now, but in eternity, in eternity, everything will be crystal clear. So I choose to live now how I will live then. When God is quiet, it's because he's already spoken. It's not a time to receive. It's a time to review. There are measures of his presence that can only be found in the valley of death, or as I call the wilderness. So afterward, there was a, an altar call um, where you could receive a, you know, either a prophecy or just a prayer or something. So I go up there, and there's this... Uh, girl who's available, she puts her hand up, and she's about the same size as my own daughter. She doesn't look much older than her either. And she says, what can I pray for? And like a flood of ideas come to head. And, um, but I put out my hand and I said, I'll take anything. So I, I really, I still have little expectation at this point. And she goes, she goes, she does what I call the warm up, you know, she's praying, she's saying you know, like general things that are true and scriptural and everything like that. And then she goes, you're grieving. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is real. Um, that's all she said at first. And then she said, the Lord wants you to know that he is very proud of you and you don't have to be afraid anymore. And I said, I don't know about that afraid thing because I haven't admitted it yet, to, at least not to myself. And I already know he's proud of me. So maybe this is part of the warm up. And she says, you don't have to worry about being a good father. Okay, she got me there. Because my dad, the loving man that he was, he was not perfect. There were many things he didn't do, and there were even more things that he should have done before he died. And this year we've been dealing with that for months and months. Of, it was a long time, getting things together in order, and you know, my mother having to relocate and all that. Um, 
It's just he didn't leave things in the order that we expected him to leave it. And I have been striving my whole life to do better than my parents. They put that in me for what it's worth. My mother would always say, do better than us, do better than us. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. So they made all kinds of sacrifices and I, I won't forget. Um, and I try to do the same thing. You know, I, I expect my kids to, you know, I got a bachelor's degree, they better get a master's, right? That kind of thing. And I've been trying to figure out how can I work and how can I use my money and invest my money and put it where it belongs or where, it, where it'll go. And I've been trying to take a lot of steps uh, on my own. I've been trying to do it all myself, trying to be successful, be a better dad. And so when she said that, it hit me hard. Um, so she says, uh, you don't have to worry about being a good father. You already are. The Father in heaven is very proud of you. And I thought that was an interesting choice of words because I have two fathers in heaven now. I have three, three fathers in heaven. The Father who uh, got me into this world, uh, he died. Uh, my stepfather, who I always knew to be my father, um, the one who raised me, he's in heaven. And I got my father in heaven. So I got three of those. And those are the choice of words she uses, and it really speaks to me. I know it's a common thing, but it's... It didn't have to be used in that moment, but it was. Uh, so then she breaks out into this thing because she starts crying and like very emotionally reacting to what she's giving me. Um, I thought it was supposed to work the other way around. Um, <laughs> and she's doing this, and she breaks out into a first-person point of view, speaking on behalf of God. And like I've seen people try this, uh, but I've never been... A, true recipient of this, I don't believe, except with Jay, it happens with Jay, sometimes with Cindy. Um, anyway, this is what she says. Well done, good and faithful son. Well done, good and faithful husband. Well done, good and faithful father. I don't... <clears throat> I didn't know how much I needed to hear that, because no part of me believes that all of that is true. This is, these are terms that God uses for himself. Why is he saying it to me? You're a good, good father, a good, good husband, and a good, good son. You can be vulnerable with me. It's okay to cry and be vulnerable in my presence. In my presence, you don't have to be the strong one. That one broke me. God wants to take a deeper place in your heart. So she leads me through this prayer and she has me put my hand on my heart, and she says, God wants to go to a deeper place in your heart. He wants to come in. You have to invite him in. So she leads me through a very simple prayer. And as soon as I close my eyes, I see God like this. <laughs> Standing in front of an open door, waiting to rush in. And my first thought is, what is he waiting for? And my second thought is, oh, thank God, he's here. <laughs> and so as soon as I start praying, he flies into this room of mine. Uh, you know, this the image I have in my head at the moment. And he immediately grabs a hold of these roots, these gigantic black roots, and starts tearing them out of this room. And I physically feel something. And it's like, oh, it kind of hurts, but I'm so glad. You know? And... Uh, I'm just, you know, I'm starting to cry because he's here. He's finally here. And he's, he 
tearing up the place. It's awesome. This is like exactly what I need right now. And he starts flipping these switches and lights are turning on and there's dust everywhere. And he like, he eventually like sits down at this control console and I'm like, okay, my heart is a spaceship. Um, and like, he's like, and the little look on his face, and he's still there. He's got this really enthusiastic look on his face, like he's ready to go. And I'm thinking, thank God it's over. And he's like, oh, it's, it's just begun. <laughs> and there's still a lot of dust settling. There's still lights to be flicked. There's still, you know, work to be done in my heart. But um, that was a, uh, probably one of the biggest turning points in my life. And I really wanted to share that with you because if I'm not the only one who's felt this way, um, it's worth sharing, even though I don't like talking to people. Um, and it's just, it's like, it's okay for me to be high on life again. I have permission to have joy. I have like unrelenting joy. I have permission to be peaceful when I shouldn't have it. I have permission to be, to have joy in everything again. Um, I can help others again the way I should, the way I, the way I should, I can enjoy helping people the way I always want to. And it's great, it was a, a big turning point for me. And I hope God does the same thing for you who need it. Um, so Psalm 56, verse seven through nine. Don't let them get away with their wickedness. This is a New Living Translation, Psalm 56, verse seven through nine. Sorry, I repeated it. Don't let them get away with the wickedness in your anger. Oh God, bring them down. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. My enemies will retreat when I call for your help. This I know, God is on my side. He's not just on my side, he's in my, the control council of my heart. And, which raises a lot of questions, like why does my heart look like a spaceship? And where did all this dust coming from? Has it really been that long? And um, why does it look like a scene out of Alien versus Predator? And what am I doing in this jungle? Um, so there was this couple's prophecy uh, that Erica and I both attended. And basically we go to this, the two of us go to these other two people who are simply there just to prophesy over us. That's it. And so here's some of the pointers they said. They said, God is proud of your ministry. God is proud of your leadership. Your leadership is not a testament of what or how you've done, rather who you are. And it was important for me to hear in that moment because I was like, I feel like who I am has been ignored, um, which isn't true. It's just a lie that I've caved into. You have made sacrifices, but you will receive the return on your investment. Oh, interesting choice of words, because that's, like that's kind of been a bit of an obsession of mine lately. Uh, together, we have grown strong like mighty pillars. And at first, I thought they were talking all to Erica. And I'm like, no, that applies to me too. I'll take it. That's cool. Couple's prophecy belongs to both of us. Um, but it was, it's cool, there's that leadership thing again. I, I think I see where God is going with this. Uh, there's this guy named Banning who goes up and gives a pretty good message. Am I taking too long? How am I getting on time? Good? Okay. 
Banning says, uh, here's some points from his message. Clarity comes from and with intimacy. Clarity comes with intimacy. Clarity comes from intimacy. There will be a point where God wants to speak with a quieter voice for more faith. Your job is to love me. My job is to work it out. I'm really good at my job. You get good at your job. Then this lady named Haley goes up there, who I've never heard of. And I'm not a card collector, but if I ever did start collecting cards, she's definitely going to be in my collection. Because every single thing she said spoke directly to me. And from the moment she got up there, um, it's, it, I, don't, I don't know how else to explain, but I was like, okay, this one's for me. This, was, this, is per, this one vibes with me right now. She's like very humble and totally going to give a good message, I could tell. And as soon as she starts, yep, there it is. I was right. So here it is. His leadership, God's leadership, is perfect. It's time to yield my desire to be strong. Don't be tempted to lead by might nor by power. The person you are most vulnerable to has the most influence over you. Holy Spirit makes himself completely available to us without limitation. He has no boundary with us. Therefore, we have an emotional influence over him. His very nature is love, and love has no boundary. In your need, you will find out who God is. God's highest priority is to love us. Our God is not... Uh, our job is not to serve or impress, it's to love. Devotion is space in our life for God to grow and accelerate our life. God doesn't give us tools or resources, he gives us himself. He's not looking for our qualification, he's looking for our yes. And then she goes on to something about the mind of God which I was really hoping for, but my tears started falling in my phone and I couldn't even see anymore. And I was, that was, uh, that was the rest of what I needed to go through to be renewed again. I don't know if you could ever be born again again, but that's exactly how it felt. Uh, Isaiah 57, verse 14 through 16. God says, rebuild the road. Clear away the rocks and stones so my people can return from captivity. The high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one says this, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and I revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. That's exactly how I feel in this moment. Came to a point of humility where I was actually able to repent and seek God's strength and forgiveness and just his godness, really, and open up, be vulnerable with him. And I think sometimes that's, for some of us, that might be our problem, where we just, we have too much guard too big of a guardian blocking God from doing what he needs to do in our life. 
We have too many walls built up around our heart, and we've been ignoring our heart. We're ignoring the state of our heart, man. He, there's a lot of switches he had to flip. There's a lot of dust and a lot of roots growing into this thing. Um, so, uh, Chris Val, his message was cool, too. It was like directly <laughs> what I needed to hear. His message is on beauty for ashes, and this is the second time he shared it um, that I heard. The first time I heard this, it's a message about grief, but the day I heard it, I was in the car. I was in my car commuting. I, go, I work in San Antonio, live in the Brownfields. And um, it's a message about grief, and towards the end of the message, I realized that I'm listening to this message about grief on my dad's birthday. So he uh, told the same message to us there, but kind of redesigned for the leaders, that, leaders there. And I'd like to share a few points. Uh, give God your ashes by telling him how bad things are affecting you. If not, the grief will skew your perspective of all the good things. Give me your ashes. You don't have as much autonomy as you think. God gave you a fight and a race. It's yours until you finish both. And that's why I wanted to share my testimony. Um, I'll read from Isaiah 35 real quick, verse 3 through 5, because it's here. With this news, strengthen those who have tired hands and encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. For your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. Did you know that? He will open up our eyes again. I know it's been preached here a few times, but I, gotta, I can't go on without reading this one. Bear with me, please. Isaiah 61. Good news for the oppressed. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim the captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. They will, re they will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they have been deserted for many generations. Foreigners will be servants. They will feed your flocks and plow your fields and tend your vineyards, who will be called priests of the Lord, ministers of our God. You will feed on the treasures of the nations and boast in their riches. Instead of shame and dishonor, you will enjoy a double share of honor. You will possess a double portion of prosperity in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. Did you know we were entitled to a double portion of prosperity? I only ever prayed for one. Now I know to pray for two. 
For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully reward my people for their suffering, and I make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be recognized and honored among the nations. Everyone will realize that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I overwhelmed them with joy in the Lord my God. For he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. I'm, I'm happy he like goes both ways and he's like, I'll take anything. I don't care if I have to be the bride or the groom in this moment. The sovereign Lord will show his justice to the nations of the Lord. Everyone will praise him. His righteousness will be like a garden in early spring with plants springing up everywhere. I'm so happy that's for me. And I hope it's for you. So we get back and the long-awaited Isabel has arrived. And she comes in, she does her prophetic conference, and she does a, a quick little thing on Thursday night, um, specifically a message for leaders. Uh, but the very first thing they said, uh, forget about the gift, focus on the giver. And somewhere along these lines, they all, uh, she also said, forget about the promises, focus on the promiser. And I, I think that's another place where I've, I've gone wrong. Um, I lost focus of who God is, and that's why I ignore who, what he's done. So, a uh, quick thing here. She read from Amos chapter 9, verse 13 through 15. It's the last one on my, nope, not the last one on my list, but here we go. The time will come, says the Lord, when the grain and grapes will grow faster than they can be harvested. Then the terraced vineyards on the hills of Israel will drip with sweet wine. I will bring my exiled people of Israel back from distant lands, and they will rebuild their ruined cities and live in them again. They will plant vineyards and gardens. They will eat their crops and drink their wine. I will firmly plant them there in their own land. They will never again be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. I'm so happy I will never be uprooted again. God has opened doors for you, and there is great release for you from heaven, and it's available now. There is resurrection power in our lives, areas where we, need, where we have been robbed, died, challenged. We will see resurrection life in all areas of life. The human perspective is the outcome of the desire or perceived need to understand and make sense. Our relationships go like this. If you satisfy my need to understand you, then I will trust you. And we do this to God. We limit our relationships with the limitation of human understanding instead of heavenly faith. And we all know that thing about human understanding, right? For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts then your thoughts. We make our obedience contingent upon our understanding. It is God's ordinance to say because I said so. Because it reflects the authority of God. 
vested in his identity. Bring everything into heavenly perspective, then make decisions based on heavenly perspective. Don't let your emotions become bigger than your wisdom. There is no need to look into the past in grief. God will restore your past right in front of you. Thank you, Lord, for that. Don't put your faith in the promise. Put your faith in the one who made his promise. I miss my dad. I miss my mother-in-law. One day I'm going to miss my mother and my father-in-law. But I know who to turn to. I wish I could do better. I wish I could make more money. I wish I could leave my kids in a better position my dad ever left me. But I know and I trust in the one who will always look after them. I said I just... I've given up on the idea of being great. I just want to be. And if you don't even have that privilege, just know that God really cares about you. He doesn't say he knows how many hairs are on your head. He says he has your hairs numbered, like serial numbers. Every little detail of you, he holds it in his consciousness. There's nothing you feel or have gone through that he isn't aware of. There is no part of you that has been dishonored that he won't vindicate or doesn't want to vindicate. There is no experience you've had so bad that he's willing to ignore. There's no problem so small that he's willing to ignore. He absolutely loves us. There's nothing that's going to separate me from my kids. And if anything ever does, it's going to hurt. And I don't know if you noticed, I didn't highlight it, but there are lots of moments where he's talking about how he cares about us in the same breath where he says, I'm going to destroy your enemies because nothing's going to stop me from getting to you. I think we say the word furious love a little too lightly but there is a lion standing over us. His roar alone won't let enemies get close enough to you. Your job is to love them. He'll take care of the rest. You know, the whole thing about me not, talking to, not liking to talk to people. Um, when I walked in expecting for people to be here to decorate the church, I looked in, I saw the people that were in there. I said, nope, not going in there. <laughs> and so there's more work to be done in my life for sure, um, to say the least. But at some point, Chris realized that I wasn't doing anything. And he made me put that thing up there with some help. Um, and eventually I started talking to people, which was good. Where am I going with that? I don't know. But I sat down, I forgot. I sat down uh, in the back. And uh, Greg sits down next to me, and he says, oh, I hear you're preaching on Sunday. And I said, yeah, I'm just sharing a testimony. He goes, just a testimony? I'm thinking, well, if you say it like that. <laughs> um, 
And that night, <clears throat> I, had, I had a dream where there were these people standing kind of lifeless, almost like mannequins. And uh, they were just standing there. Um, and there, was, there were people trying to tell them something, or trying to communicate to them. There was this one guy, who almost like, looked really short, like a little Napoleon character, going back and forth, shouting at them, almost like soldiers, but they weren't obeying his orders. So when I walked up and I said something to them, they became very happy and a glass of water appeared in their hand and they drank it. Uh, and every time I spoke to one, they would do that. And so when I woke up, there was like no more fear or doubt that I should be sharing this message because it's like, okay, um, the lifeless are willing to take in. They're going to be happy with what I've got to hear and they're going to take it in. And I believe, uh, I believe that's real. And I really hope it's real for you. And I'm pretty much done at this point. Yeah, everybody want to stand up? I'll say a prayer over you. That's okay. Um, I'll keep the microphone closer to my face. All right. Uh, that night, Jay brought me upstairs to show me the plans that he has uh, for the new building. And um, he doesn't know it, but I'm going to say it now so he knows. That if Jay were to ask me to... <laughs> I'm at this point where I will pick up and learn a guitar and lead worship service for a thousand people in a yurt <laughs> if he asked me to. I'm on board. I'm here. We're in this together. <laughs> um, I want you to know, I don't take this lightly, and I never will again. So thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this congregation. Thank you for this community of believers that have always been here. Thank you, Lord, for this community that will continue to grow, not only in number, but in quality, how much we're able to bring Thank you, Lord, for your presence and how you are just showing us and, and working with us to clear more and more of the path, to get the stones out of the way and the stones out of our heart. Lord, in the Bible, it says that murder is a bad thing and you shouldn't do it like three or four times, but you address a hardened heart almost a thousand times. I looked it up. So Lord, I thank you that that is your answer to our problem. I thank you, Lord, that you have so much mercy and grace over us, that you're gonna prove yourself through us in a way that benefits us. But thank you. I ask that you replace our hearts that are still stony with a heart of flesh, and you put a new spirit in us, Lord. You take us from glory to glory and that we allow ourselves to be vulnerable in the process and realize we're not alone and that we are very loved by you. You absolutely want us. You who need nothing want us. And I appreciate you that, Lord, and I pray that you make that evident in all of our lives, that we vibe with you, that we realign ourselves to your perspective, that we never look again in our own way but that our lens is permanently yours. Lord, I pray for a spiritual laser eye surgery right now, that we never again have the ability to see any other way but yours. 
and open up the ears of the deaf that we may hear you. And I discovered the other day that there's a verse that says, uh, if you have a hardened heart, you can't hear from God. And it's not that, that God can't talk to you. It's just you're not willing to receive. And there were times I came in and I couldn't, even, everything that Jay said would go in one ear and out the other because I was so, my heart was so stubborn. And Lord, I thank you so much that you took that away because now I absorb everything. I thank you, Lord. I thank you that we'll never be uprooted again. You brought us to the place where we belong, where you have always meant us to be. True shalom. Thank you, Lord. Make yourself honorable among the nations again. Whether they believe you or not, they're going to have to know you. And I thank you, Lord, and I pray that for everyone here. In Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes we need a fiery message. Sometimes we just need a reminder of the simplicity of what the gospel does. Amen. So here's what I want to encourage you guys to do. Find somebody. Don't be alone. If you felt alone today and you need, reach out to somebody and say, I really could use some prayers, right? I felt about we need to have altar ministry. It's like, no, you guys are going to be the altar ministry by fellowship, by grabbing a hold of somebody. So love on somebody. Uh, love you guys. Very grateful for y'all. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Yeah, don't forget Angel Tree over here at the info table. Thank you so much for joining us as we seek first after God's kingdom and release it to transform lives and cities. If you would like more information about how to grow in the kingdom or connect with Legacy, go to our website, www.legacynb.com.